Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Forbes Magazine resident WrestleManiac. Talking about our man, Alfred Kanawa. He's going to be joining us this week to discuss systemic racism in wrestling and why that is a major problem. Plus, we're going to continue our fan series with my man, Mr. Danny G. He has a lot to say about what's going on from a general standpoint in pro wrestling. So before I get to any of that, though, I do want to remind you, check out Zencaster. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. That is what I use to record the Duke Loves Wrestling podcast. I love this program. Uh, you can sign up for a free account. So whether you're doing conference calls at work or you're talking to people personally or you're recording your own podcast, you got to check out Zencaster. Studio quality recording there. And, and not only do they have just audio, but you can also do video as well. Really a great program. Once again, Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R, Zencaster. With that said, let's start the show. To the only show that matters. The cream of the crop. Duke loves wrestling. And there is no one that does it better than your host. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. The Duke. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Hi, my name is Alfred Kunawa. I write about pro wrestling for Forbes, and I have a YouTube channel, Pro Wrestling Bits. Well, this is a, a major uh, treat here because I feel like I, I've moved up into the, into the uh, big time now. We have Alfred from Forbes on Duke Loves Wrestling. This is, this is just incredible, man. What's going on, brother? It's incredible to be here, Duke. Uh, I, I've loved your stuff. Uh, I'm glad that we were able to connect. And I love the fact that uh, there are more and more black people who are now covering wrestling and calling out some of the things that I feel like some of the top white journalists uh, are either too afraid or maybe um, not aware of. And so I, I'm very honored to be on this podcast with you. Well, listen, Alfred, you, you know, we're, you're going to get us uh, kicked off the air because... <laughs> You know, they normally say if there, if there's more than three black people in one space, it's a gang. But, you know, with with the way that you come in with uh, your gravitas and mine, they, they may look at us and say that this is an organized movement going on here. So. Yeah. <laughs> They're just like how they went uh, to the state capitol when the Black Panthers had their guns. They might just try to take yes. this a platform away from both of us. That's the end of that. <laughs> Listen, Alfred. Kanawa, talk to me about you about your heritage, man. Kanawa, uh, beautiful name. What does it mean? What's the story behind it? Oh, that's a great question. It's from Liberia, West Africa, um, a country colonized by freed slaves. So, uh, you know, once uh, the slaves were freed, a group of them went to Liberia. They created a country. They called it Liberia because of liberty. And so, my name comes from that country, and it means big axe. The last name Kanawa uh, means big axe, and so uh, you know, it's. Uh, tribute to an axe i guess uh larry the axe henning uh it was not liberian but uh, we have something in common in that our names are very associated 
with axes. And so that's where it comes from. Liberia is a very interesting place. It, it's gone through its ups and downs. We recently had a woman president uh, who was doing a good job until uh, a soccer player became president. And so uh, we've had our ups and downs, but Liberia is a beautiful place. I went in 2014. I loved it, and I can't wait to go back. So that, that was a loaded question there. I asked you that on purpose. Here in Boston, I, I've helped organize and put on the African Festival, which on mm. City Hall Plaza in Boston, you know, literally – the diaspora in the greater New England area comes together and we have different um, music acts and vendors and things like that. So there's a lot that goes along with that. But when we talk about a name like Kanawa and, and, and the fact that, you know, you come from your family comes from Liberia. Yes, this helps explain why you are the way that you are, because you're a free black man, right? right. Right. And yes. you have a lot of heritage and a lot of culture and a lot of responsibility within that. So when you speak and when you shine a light on the things that you shine a light on, when you dedicate your time to the things that you choose to dedicate your time to, all of your culture and your heritage is, is behind that. And we can see that in your work. So so kudos to you for all of that, brother. I really appreciate that. That's a great compliment, man. Yeah, I, I, re- I very much take my heritage seriously. If you ever came in my home, you'd see all these, you know, Liberian art and African art and masks and stuff like that. My dad is a descendant of a tribe called the Vi tribe. There's 16 tribes in Liberia, and my dad's a descendant of one of them. So I, I really do take that seriously. So I really appreciate that compliment, dude. Hey, man, it's you, you earned it. I'm just I'm just telling the truth. You know, that's what it is there. <laughs> It's funny, Al, because you're somebody who's very well respected. Uh, you were able to find a mainstream publication, and through the quality of your work, you you were able to get them to put on wrestling content on a, on a regular basis. Talk to me about that relationship with Forbes. I mean, how, how are you able to to crack the code and, and get this? This organization that's known for financial news and very highbrow, what have you. How did, how did you convince them to really do more wrestling content? Well, it wasn't uh, so much me convincing them, but it was an opportunity in terms of Forbes uh, bringing me on in that I was working with an editor, uh, my editor Bailey Brodigan at Bleach Report. She was really great because, you know, pro wrestling is a very unique business. Not everybody knows about it. And Bleach Report is a sports website. So there's a lot of sports editors with not a lot of pro wrestling background. But I was pleasantly surprised with the amount that she knew about pro wrestling. So I was very comfortable working with her in terms of sourcing stories, curating and whatnot. She always had great ideas in terms of what direction I could take stories. So we worked very well together. So when she left Bleach Report, uh, because of the good job she did, Forbes wanted to create kind of something similar in terms of sports imprint where um, there's a lot of sports stories on this independent Forbes sports money banner. So she went there to build it and she brought me with her. She just said, hey, if you want to come and work with me. And, and because I was so comfortable working with her, I absolutely wanted to do that. So I went to, to go to Forbes, which is, you know, came out of nowhere to me. It was just so random between her getting that job at Forbes and then inviting me over there. And so I was one of the early people who went there. I think there was one guy who was there before me. But uh, from then on, I was just able to get more and more independence. And when she moved on, it became more independent in that it was up to me to kind of come up with uh, more stories and and use what I learned from her to make sure that the uh, proper material was curated through Forbes. And yes, there was some growing pains. You know, when I came over there, it was the early days of sports money. So there definitely were some growing pains. But I really do think that it's really kind of a well-oiled machine now. And and I'm very proud of the work that I've done and others have done for Forbes and, and how we've been able to get pro wrestling out on a mainstream platform. Because, you know, pro wrestling, there's a lot of dirt sheets. There's some who do good work. Uh, but 
it's underserved in terms of the amount of mainstream publications that cover pro wrestling. So I'm very glad to be working for one of those. And another aspect of that is a lot of the audience for Forbes in these mainstream places are more casual people. They're not hardcores who appreciate some of the things that I think hardcores do, uh, but only because they're in their own little world. I think that a lot of people who follow my work and follow this type of work and how I cover it from a business standpoint uh, are able to enjoy wrestling on a more casual basis. So I am able to get cues in terms of who's really popular with the everyday audience member rather than you know, which indie wrestling darling is being underutilized, which I'm so tired of those types of conversations. You know, that's really, really valuable data there. So do, do you ever have, and I, I know I'm kind of going under the hood, so so feel free to say no comment, but <laughs> do you ever have um, promotions reach out to you and try to get some of that data that you naturally gather in that regard? Oh, no, not necessarily getting data. It's usually the other way around. I'm usually that, you know, wrestling is such a protected business that, you know, I cover things from the standpoint of the business of wrestling. So whenever a promotion says, hey, come out, cover, we want you to cover an event we're having, or, or they have somebody who want me to interview or whatnot, I'm the one asking all these business questions to the point where it's like, whoa, whoa, brother, kayfabe, we can't tell you that. <laughs> or, but, you know, a lot of times they are very giving with um, some of this information. But yeah, it's usually me who's asking for a lot of this financial data because a lot of my uh, Forbes articles really should take take a, a business slant in terms of how does this spin forward to the bigger picture of the business of pro wrestling? Uh, what do these companies make? Which one of these stars draw the most money? And these are the things that I really love to find out in terms of wrestling. Well, I'm going to, you know, quote unquote, put the Iggy in some of these promoters heads here. You should be reaching out to Alfred to find out who the more popular stars are, especially for the laps fan or people who may not identify as pro wrestling fans, but they, will read his stuff because it's part of Forbes and because it's well-written. Um, you know, Al, my, my audience here, it's kind of a, a unique situation where over 40% of my listeners are women. Wow. This is this is a pro wrestling and, and, and combat sports podcast. How is that possible, right? Because that's not reflective of the greater fan base for the most part. Um, my average listener does not identify themselves as being a wrestling fan per se, which is another... It just doesn't make sense on the surface, right? But because this is an interview show and because we don't insult people's intelligence, I mean, you really get down into how stuff works and, and why it matters and things like that. People just like to hear the conversation, you know, and, and, and that's really been the feedback. So I, I totally understand what you're talking about. And there's, there's a lot of value in your quality of work and what you're able to uncover with the articles that you put out there. So that's, you know, people should be reaching that. out to you a lot more. No, it's true. It's true. So let me just get right to the to the heart of this here, Al, because you and I have a lot of things in common. And one of the main things is that we're not afraid to speak up and speak out as it relates to the way people of color, especially black folk, are are treated in pro wrestling and why that matters. For years, you have um, dissected the WWE and the way that they do business and how they present uh, black and brown wrestlers, the good, the bad, and the ugly around that. Have you noticed any significant difference at all since you first started talking about that stuff compared to today? Or is it pretty much more the same? Has it gone backwards? Like from a general standpoint, what's your view on the WWE and, and how they've presented black and brown folk on their program? 
leaps and bounds from when I started. I mean, the inspiration and the impetus of me starting to cover pro wrestling is, you know, me being a super fan of pro wrestling and watching my whole life. Uh, at one point in my life, I was listening to like 13 or 14 different podcasts. And I just started to realize that they were all kind of going to the same voice. It was all the middle-aged Caucasian voice supporting the same prototype of short white wrestlers and this guy needs a push and, and there was a lot of things that were going ignored particularly the treatment of black people on professional wrestling tv particularly at the time wwe because they were the big game in town and i feel like people understood that there was you know i don't really want to call it racism but it wasn't an element of that but um a lot of cognitive bias in terms of against black people with the wwe programming and i felt like a lot of people were scared to talk about it and a lot of people would just kind of ignore it or they get uncomfortable talking about what obviously was a, a type of people who were being underserved when it came to WWE programming. And I just felt frustrated that um, nobody's talking about this. Nobody's even referencing when there's moments of black culture on television. This whole culture is getting marginalized is how I felt um, to the point where I just felt the need. I'm just going to start writing about this stuff and see who I connected with. And I was very pleasantly surprised to see that when I would talk about race, when I would talk about why are these guys not getting presented the way um, their white counterparts are? How come there hasn't been a black WWE champion in this company that's scripted where all you need to do is write in, how are we getting a black golfing champion where there's real racism and segregation before we get a black WWE champion? How are we getting black tennis champions before we get black WWE champion for a fake wrestling sport? That would always stick in my craw. But I will say, fast forward to a decade later, I mean, I'm writing articles like WrestleMania 37 is the blackest WrestleMania of all time, which it was. Um, it's one of my favorite articles that I've ever written because I just kind of go down all the black history moments that were covered um, uh, in pro wrestling, whether it's the first all-black intercontinental title match at Money in the Bank. We had the first all-black WWE championship match. We had the first black Money in the Bank winner. And these are things that do mean something to me that now WWE is not only just doing diversity for the sake of diversity, they're creating fully fleshed out black uh, top stars. You saw Bobby Lashley, the second black WWE champion, but when he won that title, it's like, yeah, of course Bobby's going to win that title. It really wasn't treated like this big moment of history. And that's a good thing. And that we are getting to a point where, of course, a black person's going to win a title. What, what's the big deal? And that's always what I wanted us to get to. And I think WWE is doing a phenomenal job of that. Since you are a, a, a writer for Forbes, talk to me about the the financial impact of that, because, you know, that that's always one of the big arguments that the naysayers want to have well you know the, the black wrestlers aren't marketable enough and it's it's not going to be as successful uh maybe that's why they're not champion or maybe that's not why they're not the top people in the companies wwe is experiencing record profits year after year after year as they become more diverse um at least that's been my research and understanding correct me if i'm wrong now yeah, well, I would say it is happening at the same time of them getting diverse. And I, those are going to be one and the same in terms of the world we live in right now. But I do think that a lot of the record profits are due to the economics of pro wrestling changing to skew toward television. Instead of wrestling making its money off these live events and pay-per-views, they're making money off these really inflated TV deals. Because now you got a Peacock and an HBO Max and you've got Netflix. you got all these streaming services now in an arms race. And so they're overpaying, I think, for a lot of content. And 
WWE has been a beneficiary of that. So I think that's more of a reason in terms of them making record profits. But you're absolutely right in terms of piquing people's interests and getting people excited about the product. Pushing black talent is going to be a very integral part to that. You saw how big Kofi Mania was in terms of these fans rallying around Kofi Kingston, who was not supposed to be the guy to win that title. It was pretty much the black version of, of Daniel Bryan's Yes movement. And ironically, Kofi Kingston won the title from Daniel Bryan. Uh, you see a lot of these guys like Bobby Lashley, who when he won that title led to some of the best ratings Raw had done all year, um, week after week. And they've created a legitimate star in Bobby Lashley. Uh, so WWE has done a good job in fostering this, you know, uh, uh, black talent and black culture on the television. And for anybody who says like that is just such old school, really kind of dumb thinking to think that, oh, black people aren't marketable. You don't get it if you don't think black people are not marketable. You need to get out of the business. You might not be in touch with what with what has been going on in America for the longest of times. You look at some of the biggest white stars in history, whether it's an Elvis, even the Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, they all stole from black people. OK, Boys to Men was there long before NSYNC. All pop culture is, is when some black people do something that's cool, pop culture steals it and gives it to a white person. So why not take that thing that's cool for black people and showcase it on your TV so you come off as cool too? Last I checked, Rolling Loud is the blackest music festival there is. 200,000 people showed up. I promise you they were not all black. I mean, listen, th these are hot takes here. And listen, you know, people look at me like I'm crazy when I say some of these things. But now you see you got a guy like uh, Alfred Conowa who's saying the same thing, right? These are the same points. And, and, and really because this is the facts. These are the facts. These, this is the truth here. You can't be in a society in 2021 and not recognize the fact that black culture is what's cool. It's what's marketable. It doesn't matter what industry you look at. For the most part, you're going to see elements of black culture in there and for good reason. You know what I mean? This is this. Look at TikTok. TikTok yes. has, has, has gone to hell in a lot of ways ever since that strike where mm -hmm. the black creators decided they weren't going to make any new dances. And unfortunately, it's affected the music industry in a negative way. Right. I think it's fortunately it's affected music industry. Well, Black people been should have done this. Uh, and I love to see this creator strike in terms of their dances because typically the way things work is it gets stolen and black people are forgotten and people like you and me are the ones who have to remind people that you know this came from black people but now they're saying okay no you create your own culture then you, you want to steal from us to, to be cool no no you create your own cool see how that works and it's not working out very good for TikTok. It's not working out uh, for TikTok at all and I mean that's a that's a major company with a lot of money a lot of incomes coming from different places here, but it all centers around people doing these viral dances and what have you. And when you have the creators of these dances who are not getting an equitable piece of the pie, when there's money generated from that, then, hey, we'll just take it away from you and see what you do then. And what do you Love do it. then? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you about the new kid on the block, so to speak, Al. Uh, all Elite Wrestling. Now, Here's a company that is backed by one of the richest people in the world and Shad Khan. Uh, Tony Khan, his son, is the president. Tony was given $100 million from his daddy to um, basically have his human toys, so to speak. You know what I mean? We have to collect action figures, but Tony is able to get real people and put on <laughs> real wrestling events and have a good time. He's the booker, even though he has no experience in doing that. This is, this is the ultimate version of No Mercy. Uh, you know, the video game that we used to play there. Cool. I don't get that. If, if I had that kind of money, I would do the same damn thing and have a ball doing it, you know. But with that, 
you know, they do want to make it a business that can stand on its own and operate on its own, be able to sustain itself, whether it's going to make a whole bunch of money, whatever. But if it's able to at least pay its own bills so it's not costing any money in the long term, ultimately, that's the goal here. And, and, and I can respect that. Uh, there are a lot of businesses that are similar. One thing that they focused on from the very beginning, even before they had their first match, they said that women's wrestling was going to be presented in a very serious manner. Women were going to be paid equally to men. They said that uh, it was going to be diverse, and diversity is very important. They said that they were going to present black wrestlers, especially black male singles wrestlers, and they were going to have an, an equal shot at um, being top stars in the company, what have you. So this was really, really interesting and promising. And because of that, they were able to attract a lot of eyeballs, including mainstream people who have nothing to do with wrestling, like Andrew Yang, like uh, AOC. You know, these are people in the political world with um, high profiles. Andrew Yang ran for president. AOC, she's one of the most recognizable people in Congress right now. Uh, so it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool that they had this marketing uh, tool that they utilize effectively. Unfortunately, I have not seen from an equitable standpoint this the stuff that they've marketed thus far. I see a lot of white guys at the top of the card. I go through the win-loss records because they keep track of that. And I see that the black male singles wrestlers, they are consistently the top losers in the company while their white male peers are consistently the, the top winners and therefore get the top opportunities. So my question to you, Alfred, because like we said, you know, we, were, we called out WWE for many years for not being equitable from a diversity standpoint. What's your take on AEW uh, thus far? Uh, I want to start by saying I absolutely do love AEW and how they are presenting their product as kind of an alternative WWE. I think they're doing everything right, or most things right, not everything. They're doing a lot of things right in terms of booking and following the basic principles of pro wrestling and building up a young core of talent and all the things that uh, I think a wrestling company should do at their stage. Uh, I really love that you called it a marketing tool in terms of them coming out and saying that they're going to be the diverse progressive company because the further we get into AEW, in hindsight, the more that's what it seemed like it was. That they came out, I mean, they were very deliberate about how progressive they would be. And we're going to have this black woman executive, which is a great accomplishment. First black woman executive in the history of professional wrestling is Brandi Rhodes. Um, but at the same time, Brandi Rhodes did have a controversy where she was run off of Twitter by a lot of racist people. Uh, and, uh, you know, she isn't as much of a public facing uh, presence, you know, partly because of the pregnancy and whatnot. I do understand that. But I do think that AEW has flat out dropped the ball when it comes to diversity. I mean, if you were to tell me when AEW started based on how they were talking about how they're going to be so diverse, you know, Scorpio Sky earlier in that company got a title shot at Chris Jericho. And I'm like, OK, here we go, AEW. Max Caster is one of the biggest stars who has since disappeared. But at, at the time earlier in AEW, he was out there and coming up in the world. But now that we've gotten here, if you were to tell me in 2018, 2019, that, you know, a couple of years from now, WWE is going to be kicking AEW's ass when it comes to diversity. And it's not even going to be close. I would think you were crazy. And that's exactly what's happening. WWE is a diverse company and they're not doing it in a pandering way. They have fostered and created deep 
uh, multi-layered, three-dimensional black characters like a Bobby Lashley, like a Kofi Kingston, like a Big E, who you want to follow their journey and support them. They've done a great job. Bianca Belair, WrestleMania, first two black women to headline WrestleMania. Uh, they've done an incredible job of not only diversity, but making it mean something. Actually seeming like they care about black talent, WWE. Uh, and the list goes on and on. AEW has not done that at all. I mean, you cannot tell me the black person that they have up and coming is Scorpio Sky is just kind of out there with Ethan Page with his tag team, Men of the Year. Nobody really knows what it means. Uh, Will Hobbs is out there, but he's like an ancillary part of the start, start and stop stable with Team Taz. That's about it. That's, a, you know, Max Castro is really, I think, could be a huge star, but they've kind of put him on the back burner. And AEW has not done a good job uh, in this sample size that we have of featuring black talent in you know, promoting black culture on their television. And this is something that obviously I'm going to have a bias toward, but by compartmentalizing as a guy who follows the business of pro wrestling and the business and the culture of America, you, you cannot become hot. You cannot become the mainstream thing without black people. Okay, let's go back to NWO. And Kevin Nash will be the first person to tell you this. They're stealing from Tupac. Okay, Kevin Nash is wearing his bandana backwards. Uh, he was doing Tupac. He, he put that black glove on and does that fist pump as a tribute to the Black Panthers, okay? NWO and, and Six Pac, okay, his name is Six Pac. That's a hint to Tupac. The hottest that wrestling gets, it's when they're either borrowing from Black culture or more preferably featuring elements of Black culture on their television. So there's no two ways around it. So if AEW wants to be the company that white excellence happens, where it's Hangman Adam Page and Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, and everybody's white, listen, you're going to have an audience for that. You see that they've got a lot of momentum, but there's only so much of an audience before it stops and falls short of becoming mainstream because you need black culture to really buy into your product in order to become hot. And that's where AEW is failing for me right now. You know, Al, you're a guy that covers uh, business, the, the economics uh, of things, especially in pro wrestling. Is this beyond AEW's control? I mean, the fact that they don't feature any black wrestler, especially black male wrestler as a top star in their company, is this beyond their control? Absolutely not. It's cognitive bias. I mean, cognitive bias can be beyond your control, but you need to understand that it exists and you need to be able to call yourself out when it does exist. This is not at all beyond their control. All it takes, you have a pencil and a paper. That's why I'm so aggressive in terms of calling out wrestling companies when they don't promote black talent. This is not a real sport where it's like, well, you know, the kids just don't want to play the sport or, you know, he's not as good at this sport. You All it takes is you take your pencil out and you write down, this person goes over. This is a fake sport. This is well within their control. Almost they have too much control over it. That's why I'm going to call them out is because this is not tennis where there's segregation and they're actively trying to keep black people out in terms of the history of tennis. Yet somehow Serena Williams was able to break through and become a champion. This is not golf where some golf courses to this day have segregationist practices. Yet somehow Tiger Woods was able to become the best golfer of all time. If that can happen in tennis and golf, you're damn right it can happen in pro wrestling. It's just pro wrestling is caked in this old boys network of thinking where it is conducive to, to keeping black people down. And when I see that happen, I'm going to call it out. You know, there's a phenomenon that I experience when I talk about these things, whether it be online, here on Duke Loves Wrestling, what have you. Ultimately, there is a whole parade of accounts that want to come after me. How dare you call out AEW and there's no race problem and yada, yada, yada. Like, just go crazy. Just absolutely insane over this because they want to shout down these facts that we're bringing up here. 
have you ever experienced that at all, Al? I mean, do, do you have the the uh, the humanoids coming after you when, when you start bringing up this stuff? Oh God, have I? I, I was talking to my, my guy Nick Hausman about this off there the other day. In that one of these days, I'm going to write a book of all the crazy DMs I've gotten from fans in response to me talking about race and and like. Of course, I get all kinds of pushback and they'll always be like, you're just making about race. You're making it about race as if like I'm just trying to use it as this tool to cloud chase and whatnot, which uh, which is ridiculous. You know, I, I'm and if I am good because I am a black man, I'm a proud black man and I'm going to cover wrestling from a perspective that I feel like connects with people, yourself included, who I respect within this business, who I feel are, are good voices, and important voices to have. So you're damn right, because if I don't, other people won't. Dave Meltzer won't. Like, you know, as much as he does, you know, he had uh, Andreas Hale on the Wrestling Observer Radio. And I'm not saying he doesn't care about racial issues, but it's very easy for people like that to ignore them. This man wrote 40,000 words in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter last week and didn't say one word about the black history that happened at Money in the Bank. Nothing about the first black WWE championship match. The first time two black men competed for the WWE championship. That's kind of a big deal, right, Duke? Not one word was written about that in the Observer. The first black Money in the Bank winner. Not one word was written about the fact that he's the first black Money in the Bank winner. So if the top journalists are too scared to talk about black people in wrestling, well, uh, allow me as a top journalist to, to step in and talk about that and draw attention to issues like this because I do feel they're important. You know, that's a very good point because here's a guy in Dave Meltzer who is literally the most quoted person in pro wrestling. Uh, it, it doesn't matter what website that you go to that covers wrestling. They're going to take something that Dave Meltzer said and repurpose it uh, and what have you here. So you're right. The fact that he does not uh, highlight any of this stuff, it, it just speaks volumes, it speaks volumes. And, and, and you start to wonder because he's not the only one. And I'm not picking on you, Dave. I'm just pointing out a fact. Um, it's a glaring issue. It's like a hole in the head and everyone goes out of their way to look away and not talk about it. And even when they talk about it, it's it's barely there. They want to move past it real quick. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and it just it, it really boggles my mind. Have you ever had people threaten you, Al, for, for talking about this stuff? Uh, I don't. <laughs> threaten's a funny word. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say threaten like they're going to do physical violence or whatnot. It's usually just and I don't want to say that it's only the crazy people. I think a problem with this social media world is people only choose to respond to the crazy trolls and they give them too much power. There's definitely that element. But there are people sometimes who. I would consider somewhat credible who push back against, well, uh, why are you talking about race so much? Well, what do you want them to do and stuff like that? And that's just so ridiculous and beside the point in that the more comfortable we are talking about this, the more people will be able to hold these wrestling companies accountable when it's so obvious that there are um, racial biases against uh, different communities of people. And, you know, as, as much as I am going to stand by black people, it's not just black people. I talk about how Latinos are marginalized in pro wrestling. And that's what I think is a big problem with AEW and that my favorite wrestler in AEW is Ray Phoenix. I think the guy's incredible. I think every time I see him in a ring, he's fantastic. And I feel like he's now being put in this Latino wrestler box alongside Penta, who's another one of my favorites, Andrade. And they've got Chavo, who's a great talker. And they're just putting them in this Latino box where it's like, we're going to give you guys your segment. It's all going to happen at the same time. And we're not necessarily going to pay attention to you individually as stars, which I think is a huge mistake because some of SmackDown's biggest numbers that they ever did and some of WWE's biggest television ratings that they ever did came because of Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio really making a connection with the Hispanic community. There is a fervor 
pro wrestling uh, to the Hispanic community is a sport, much like Japanese. Uh, Lucha Libre is a rite of passage. It's not just this entertainment thing that we see it is that is going to feed our entertainment as a guilty pleasure. You know, so if you are able to foster Lucha Libre talent and AEW has some of the best Lucha Libre talent in the world, if you're able to create a connection, that could be a key to becoming mainstream. And AEW has completely dropped the ball when it comes to that. Hitting it right on the head. And on the flip side, uh, did you know that no one's ever heard of of Bad Bunny? Did you know that, Al? (laughs) Yeah. Who's this Bad Bunny fellow? And again, I love that you brought this up. Like, this is another, you know, as uh, Charlemagne the God, who I absolutely love, says something It's called the culturally clueless Caucasians. And that take that, oh, you know, I talk to my children and they don't know who Bad Bunny is. Like, let me tell you something right now. Bad Bunny, whether you want to admit it or not, is one of the biggest acts in all of entertainment. And I can tell you personally, from feedback I've received, from covering Bad Bunny, from putting his name in a headline, this gets covered and reacted to in circles that I didn't even know watch pro wrestling. And they don't because Bad Bunny is covered by Complex, The Breakfast Club. He's covered by all these mainstream uh, black cool publications that if he's doing something with wrestling, it's going to create a huge ripple effect throughout the community. So this idea that Bad Bunny uh, is an unknown kind of obscure act is ridiculous. Well, and, and to piggyback on that, when you look at, Something like SmackDown being simulcast with Rolling Loud, uh, a, a, a megastar like uh, Bianca Belair, megastar in the making at, le- at least. What is the significance of someone like Bianca Belair, this black woman with muscles who goes out there and kicks butt in the ring? She's beautiful. She has the athletic background to back herself up. She was a track and field star. Uh, she's a CrossFit star. What is the significance of being at a a cultural event like Rolling uh, Loud? And, and how important is that? Very important. And it also validates a lot of what we've been talking about in terms of why we uh, discuss black issues. Bianca Belair herself told me that when she's out in the street in her community, black people come up to her and say, I didn't know they had wrestlers like you. I didn't know that they had superstars like you. OK, maybe I'll start watching it. And, and Bianca Belair herself was unsure about getting into wrestling. She did not grow up a wrestling fan. It was Mark Henry. Shout out to Mark Henry. Good ass dude. Mark Henry was the one who kind of said, hey, you'd be really good in wrestling. She was very weary of it. And she told me that she did not know about becoming a wrestler until she saw Naomi in the ring. Somebody who looked like her, a black woman, an incredible athlete who was able to use these great athletic moves. That's what inspired Bianca. It's not like she grew up a fan of all these vintage wrestlers like Shawn Michaels or something like that. Bianca Belair, as an adult, as a 26-year-old, saw Naomi and said, you know what? Yeah, okay. If, if this woman can do it, I can do it. And now she's one of the biggest stars that arguably they might ever have in terms of women's wrestlers. So it is important to have that representation. I was telling you off air, one of the biggest moments of my wrestling watching career in childhood was I had a birthday party with all of my friends in the suburbs. <laughs> you know, mostly white friends uh, um, watching King of the Ring 1996. Same night as the Austin 316 promo, but that promo is not what stood out to me. What stood out to me uh, was Ahmed Johnson becoming the first black intercontinental champion. I thought that was a huge deal. He beat Goldust for the Intercontinental Championship, and they shot. They said that afterwards. Ahmed Johnson, the first black Intercontinental Champion. How does that feel? It's a very special moment for me, and I don't know if I would still be watching wrestling to this day if it wasn't for people like Ahmed Johnson, Booker T getting a push when I was younger, and me being able to kind of back him because it's like a family member uh, becoming a, a top wrestler. And in addition to connecting with black people, there's a whole entire culture uh, that we control 
in terms of black culture that will tie into mainstream culture. So it's very important for Bianca Belair, for some of these black women and black men to be represented because you never know who they're going to connect with and you never know what type of stars that these people are going to become. Man, you, you were just dropping gems. I, I swear, Al, it's just, it's wonderful. It's one. Why don't you let everybody know the best way that they can keep up with you um, and definitely be able to read what you're putting out next, check out uh, some of the stuff you have on YouTube. I mean, you just have an arsenal of content that you put out and it's all just fantastic. I make sure that I make time to check it out every chance I get. So let everybody know how they can keep up with you, man. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at This Is Nasty. Uh, you could read me on Forbes, Alfred Kunawa. And then uh, watch my YouTube channel, Pro Wrestling Bits, which I'm very proud of. Pro Wrestling, B-I-T-S, Pro Wrestling Bits. I do a lot of kind of mini documentaries. I have a lot of interviews up there. My Bianca Belair interview is there. It's doing very well. Uh, I talked to Chris Jericho, Tony Khan. You know, I talked to everybody in wrestling, and, and we do have kind of these uh, honest conversations. And I, I think I kind of go places that uh, some people may not. Uh, but I, I'm very proud of what I've done there and uh, as a whole. So just, you know, follow me on Twitter and uh, and we'll all be friends. You know, Duke, that's how I met you is on Twitter. That's right. That's right. And I appreciate it. And, and, and shout out to uh, my man, Adam B. Foundation Radio. You know, he, they, he has a, a great conversation with you coming up. Um, yes. And he definitely suggested that you and I link up because we have so much in common. So I appreciate Adam for that. But uh, I, I've been a fan of yours for a while now, Al, because you just tell it like it is, man. And I appreciate it. Now, I got to ask a question before I let you go here, because, you know, not only does Duke loves wrestling, Duke loves food. Hey. And, you know, you you have something that uh, most people don't have who've been on the show where, you know, your family coming from Liberia, there's got to be some information about some some food or a dish or something in particular that just blows everything away that people should check out the next time they get a chance. Oh, in terms of Liberian food? Yes. yes. Oh, man. Listen, my, so my, my mom is from Jamaica. So curry goat Ooh. with rice and peas and, and, and you know, some, some cabbage on the side there. I tell everybody, man, if you're going to get any Jamaican food, you got to get some, some either. If you're not going to get goat, get some oxtail. Which, yes. Jesus Christ, the price of oxtail these days is so expensive. My God. But get some oxtail if, you, if you're going to get anything there. But. Liberian food. What are we talking about, man? If, if somebody said, give me one dish, if I'm going to a restaurant, it's a Liberian restaurant, what am I ordering? Well, if you like soup especially, and a very popular dish in Liberia is called fufu. You get fufu in soup, and you can put it in palm butter. You can have a peanut butter sauce, and there's stew. There's all kinds of things you can do, but it's called fufu. And what it basically is, it's just like dough. It's just this dough that they kind of mix. It doesn't have really a taste to it, but it's this texture that you can put in, whether it's chicken soup. Uh, my favorite thing to do with fufu or that my mom does is uh, she puts it in peanut butter sauce. And it's delicious. It's just this peanut butter and fosters it in kind of like a stewy sauce and put some beef in there, put some chicken in there. You can put some fish in there, some uh, some cow stomach, which is kind of looks like a honeycomb, but it's a very kind of gooey type mixture. But you can do all kinds of things with that. Uh, so fufu and soup, I would definitely recommend. And also jollof rice. Jollof rice is more of a West African dish. So Nigerians have it. Ghanaians have it. But uh, jollof rice is uh, just it's a lot like fried rice. But it has like the chicken and the corn and it has vegetables in it. And uh, it's just like kind of a hodgepodge of rice and a lot of different meats and vegetables. And it's delicious. And African food slaps, man. We got to go to Africa together one day and have some of this. Well, it's funny that you said the jollop rice because, you know, I was thinking Ghana when you said that. Because that's, you know, Canadians, 
that's where I first uh, tried it. So that's that's funny that you mentioned that. But I agree, man. And you're talking about tripe. You said you said yes, yes. That's, that's, <laughs> they, they call it, some Africans call it cow stomach, but it's tripe is the official right. name. Yes, beef tripe. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Listen, whether we whether we go whether we go back home to Africa or whether we uh, do it here in Boston or over on your side of the coast, man. Yeah, we definitely. I need to go to a African restaurant with you. And just have you order for me. Now, it can't be too spicy, man. I, I like tangy Ooh. spice. I don't like hot spice. So Okay, that might be a problem because African food is very spicy. My, my little I brother know. actually hates spicy food. So my mom <laughs> had to actually make, and it wasn't even really that African food, but she had to make an entirely different dish for him. Uh, and it was something completely different just because it didn't have any spices in it. But that could be arranged. And I will say, there's not a lot of Liberian. There's a couple of Nigerian Ethiopian restaurants to the big African thing in um, in sure. California. Uh, so there's not too many, but I think in the Bay Area, they do have a couple of li- uh, Liberian places that you can go, or they at least have stores that you can get Liberian food and, and make it. But we, we'll find some places. And with the with the Ethiopian food, it's it's more saucy, right? Yes. There's a There's a whole concept of saucy food and and you're encouraged to eat a lot of that stuff with your hands too which is interesting oh yeah Um, because you get the bread to sop it up and what have you here so it's yeah it's a whole experience if anyone if you've never been and i don't care what part of the of the continent we're talking about if you've never been to an african restaurant anyone listening you are cheating yourself out of just delicious culinary experience it it just it'll take you somewhere you've never been because we're talking flavor seasoning spices you know just flavor not bland food with just a little salt and pepper and you're ready to go give me a break we're talking real flavor that's so great that you can smell it okay you know when you smell something that that you know it's just like damn i know that's gonna taste good so that's what we're talking about here so so al i'm gonna hold you to that man i gotta i gotta go uh restaurant hopping with you one of these days let's do it man i I would be interested to see what boston's got to offer i I feel like boston would have uh, a little more uh, cuisine in terms of the choices of african food than i think that california has you know i honestly that's a fact and 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 one of the main reasons why you know the world comes here to get educated yes i know that california has some great schools out there too so i'm not being disrespectful in that regard but um the world comes here to get educated and, and because of that a lot of people settle down here our hospitals and, and, and different industry and what have you. So we have a wide selection of, of African uh, restaurants and what have you throughout the greater Boston area. It, you, you'd actually, you could tour the world here in that regard for sure. So, you know, that's it. We're, we're, we're going to get Alfred to, from, from uh, Forbes magazine to come down here uh, to Boston and we're going to have to film this. We're going to do a, some kind of restaurant hopping thing It'll be like uh, Anthony Bourdain's No Reservations. We're just going to pop up in places. Yeah. <laughs> gonna, you know, hopefully I'm not going to eat anything too spicy and pass out. But outside of that, you know, we're going to have to make this happen, man. You can show me some of this peanut sauce stuff that you're talking about because I haven't experienced that yet. Yeah, that'll be fun, man. Yeah, we can have our own thing going on. I think it would make great television if uh, you ate something that was too hot and passed out. It'll be like hot that show Hot Ones. All right. We can't do that. I'm not going to be, <laughs> no, I'm not gonna be I'll take care Shaquille. Of you, man. <laughs> I'm not going to be Shaquille O'Neal looking crazy out there, okay? Hi, this is Earl Oliver from Sully's Finish Wrestling. This is Raj Geary with WrestlingInc.com. This is Sean Reed, boxing writer and undercover low-key wrestling fan. And you're listening to Duke Love Wrestling. Woo! WWE NXT. We knew it was coming. 
and it certainly came, you know, fast and, and, and heavy here, releases. They they've they've trimmed the roster a little bit. In fact, let me let me tell you who got released. Bronson Reed, Bobby Fish, Leon Ruff, Tyler Rust, Jake Atlas, Mercedes Martinez, Asher Hale, Giant Zanjir, Zachariah Smith, Kona Reeves, who's been around a long time, Ari Sterling, and the referee, Stefan Smith. So, you know, that's a pretty big round of releases. We, we knew that NXT was going to get trimmed at some point, and it certainly happened. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of speculation out there. There's a lot of people reacting to this. Of course, most of the takes are a bunch of baloney. You have your uh, paywall gangsters out there who they got the inside scoop, but you got to pay them to get it. Give me a break. Um, but, you know, when it comes to moments like this, it's one thing to talk to wrestlers and, and, and talk to quote unquote insiders. And that's fun and that's cool. But sometimes it's good to talk to knowledgeable fans as well, because here's the thing. How does something like this impact the consumer? Good, bad or indifferent, you know, and that's what I care about the most, because at the end of the day, the wrestling industry depends on the consumer. Right. Are you going to keep our interest or are you going to drive us away? So I decided to, to invite literally one of my favorite follows on Twitter. You know, a, a guy that just he gets it. He, he always has insightful takes. He's a he's a guy that, you know, is close to my age. So he's seen it all, which is part of the reason why he has such a mature and insightful take on wrestling. So without further ado, welcome to the Duke Loves Wrestling podcast. My brother, Mr. Danny G. What's up, Danny? Hey, Duke, how you doing today, man? Thanks for having me on. Hey, it's it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure, Danny. And, and let's just go, you know, real quick on this deal here. What What's your initial take on these uh, WWE NXT releases? Well, I mean, I look at the list and um, I, I kind of have the theory about like you. Uh, I, I think you have at the same point, Duke, is when, you know, there's not room at the top of the card for everybody. And I look at this list and I was only really surprised to see maybe two people on there. Um, I was actually one of them not being Bobby Fish. I know he had the whole undisputed era experience, but as a singles competitor, I'm not I'm not shocked that that's that that's where it went. The two that shocked me were obviously Bronson Reed because everything I heard was he was heading up to the main roster, and actually the one that bothered me, the only one that really bothered me, was Mercedes Martinez, and I'm gonna say that because. Wasn't it just a couple of weeks ago she took that devastating uh, roundhouse kick from, was it Zai Lee, and knocked her flat on her back in the middle of the match. And, I mean, I remember the, I remember the referee didn't even count to three in that match. Um, I feel she's a good performer. I feel she can give a lot as a veteran of the industry to, the, to that brand. I feel she could have been called up to the main roster and been able to contribute. So I don't understand that one. Um, and Leon Ruff a little bit. Um, I disappointing because I really would have liked to see him with 205 Live maybe get that program going. But the more I look at this list, I think that 205 Live is actually going to go away. You know, those those are solid takes there, Danny. And, and it's like, again, you're a guy that's seen it all in pro wrestling, you know, going back to the to the to the 80s. So you understand that 
it's a business that just keeps going. It's it's a revolving door in a lot of ways. And, you know, sometimes people have to bounce around. But I agree with you on everything you just said. I mean, Mercedes Martinez, she's legitimately one of the greatest women's wrestlers of all time. And I think that her independent spirit is part of the reason why she never caught on with a major brand. I I, I feel like she's built for more of an indie type of of presentation which you know is based primarily on solid in-ring work and based on the mystique of of somebody who's been around for over 20 years and who can still go and who still looks great wwe there's there's a lot more uh a flash and pizzazz in there and you got to be more of a character and mercedes martinez is not a character she's she's a fighter she's a she's an ass kicker she's not a character so you know, I, I get why she didn't necessarily work in that system long term. And I agree that she just got her head kicked off by Zia Lee. Um, it's really unfortunate that they couldn't find a way to keep her around. It would have been nice for Mercedes Martinez to, to become a trainer uh, in the company, because I know that she does that on the side anyway. I know a <laughs> lot of people who have done her seminars and they said they were fantastic. So I agree. Leon Ruff was a, was a big surprise for me because... I mean, they put the North American title on this guy. So to just get rid of him, same thing with Bronson Lee. Although I think, you know, once Vince McMahon saw Bronson Lee, he probably just shook his head and said, yeah, that's not it. Um, Not when you have guys like Omos. I mean, look how big he is. Bronson is, is kind of that size where, although he's thick, he's still not tall enough to be a, a Keith Lee. He's certainly not Bobby Lashley. There's like he, he's he's missing the cut to really be a super heavyweight. They have Otis and they have Keith Lee. So you're right. They gave him a tryout and they said, you know what? We've already got two guys on the roster that we can use. Whether or not you agree, I mean, I kind of like what they're doing with Otis now. I hate what they're doing with Keith Lee. I really, really, really hope that they don't ruin him. But um I just think that that's what it was. I think that they're like, look, we don't have, we don't need another guy like this on the roster. And it's sad. You don't want to see anybody lose their job, but at the same time, you know, give them a chance to find work elsewhere. Well, that's it. And certainly once you've been on WWE TV and you've gotten that rub, your chances of landing elsewhere are are dramatically increased as opposed to somebody else who is still trying to make their bones on the Indies. There's no two ways about that. Um, So, and, and look, you know, my heart goes out to anybody released. Nobody wants to see people lose their their gainful employment. But I truly believe everybody on that list was talented enough to be able to pick up the pieces and keep this train going elsewhere. So good luck to you all, really. Uh, Danny, you're a guy that, like me, you grew up on the whole WWF versus NWA stuff, world class, uh, you know, UWF. You. You grew up during an era where there was flashy wrestling and there was quote unquote real wrestling. What do you think about the product that you see today compared to what you watched growing up? Athletically, the product today is better uh, because I think these guys are incredibly trained athletes that um, work super hard at their craft. I think uh, storyline-wise, I would I would always go back to the days of the NWA. You know, Dusty Rhodes versus Ric Flair, um, the Von Erichs versus the Freebirds, 
Um, uh, no, nah, this is making me sound really old. You know, um, I mean, I uh, Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant. Um, those, I feel those, those were like more, th- those were more entertaining. Those were better stories told than maybe what is, what is out there now. Not that, the, not that all the product out there now is not good. Cause a lot of it is actually very good. Um, I love what they're doing with Roman Reigns. I love what they're doing with Bobby Lashley. Um, we can get into AEW if you want. There's not a whole lot I like about that, but <laughs> at the same time, um, you know, <clears throat> I feel like back in the early days, it was more of like fighting. And I feel like now it's more entertainment. And I, that with, with which obviously I think with, with more TV than now and with more, with bigger crowds than they used to be, et cetera, they kind of need to be, to play to that. And obviously with WWE being a, um, you know, a publicly traded company, they have, they have to worry about that type of stuff. Um, you know, um, you know, all the other biggest difference is now, um, I feel like you see more women on TV now. I feel like the women are much more are much better wrestlers now than they were back then. I mean, there were some good ones. Um, there were some good ones. I mean, Trish and Lita, I think, set the set the tone for everybody uh, for, for the women. I think they really stepped up the bar. I think the Bellas um, kind of brought light to women's wrestling in a sense where I think with the, with their extra media, it kind of put a little extra attention on. But then the people that are there now, like Charlotte and Sasha and Becky and Bailey and now with Bianca, like they've they've showed, hey, guess what? We can do this. We we can do this. We can main event a WrestleMania and we can we can bring it. And um, I, I look forward to watching the women every week. Um, I, you know, I don't necessarily agree. Like, I, I feel like you like to, you know, you want to do almost one for one sometimes. I don't necessarily agree with that, Duke. But I do like the fact that there's two or three women's matches on every week. I mean, I could watch Charlotte Flair all day. I think she's probably in the top two or three performers in the entire industry right now. Well, you're absolutely right about that, Danny. In, in, in a perfect world, I, I do see women's matches and men's matches being equal on the card but i understand your take on that i mean when we don't put enough emphasis on certain characters on certain people and they're not developed at the same rate as others then it's easy to say well yeah i don't really want to see much more of that person or i don't want to see much more of that style of something but when you package it and you make it special and you make it important and you make it the best thing going then you have a situation where you can you can have women main event raw two three weeks in a row, right? You can you can have women main event WrestleMania two years out of the past three years. You you can do these different things. Um, so I get it. This is we're we're, we're moving toward a goal, and it's going to take some time, but we can't stop moving in that direction. And you brought them up, so let's let's talk about them. AEW. <laughs> <laughs> all right let's have some fun here Duke. Yeah, let's 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 just get right into it since you since you brought it up. i was gonna leave it alone but you brought it up danny no so, no you know <laughs> I, I i i feel i feel like we kind of have to um i'll say this i um <clears throat> i love i love competition don't get me wrong and you know I, I i i tried to think back to when wwe was the only game in town and it really wasn't all that great you know uh, I do feel competition is good. Um, with that being said, I went out. I, I tried to give AEW, and I I tried to give it the benefit of the doubt. Um, um, I was very happy for Cody to see him do well on on the independents. Um, 
you know, he, he's okay. You know, he's not, he's not, he's not great or anything like that, but I was glad to see him kind of help bring it. I felt like he got a little bit of social media involved and kind of helped with a little bit, uh, get AEW on the map and get this whole bullet club or whatever it was to bring kind of like, basically that's what they did. They brought the bullet club over to, to the United States is what they, is what they wanted to do. Um, but with that being said, um, I can't, I, every time I see Tony Khan on TV, I want to slap him across the face. Um, uh, I don't like the fact that some kid who has money thinks that he can just run a wrestling company and play with these people's lives. And um, I hate the fact that the former guys that were in WWE constantly taking shots at WWE. And I'll, and I'll, I'll say it like this. They have every right to be bitter being released during a pandemic. You have every right to be angry at your former employer. You have every right to be upset. I completely understand that, okay? But what you don't have every right to do is go on other television programs and down talk and degrade your your former employer. Um, two guys that really make me angry the most are Gallows and Anderson. Um because I don't care what they say. They're not top of the card guys. They're not. Okay. But they were paid very well by WWE. When AEW was, was ramping up, they chose to re-sign with WWE. Okay. So they made that decision. So like I said, they have every right to be upset. But for Gallows to go on TNA Impact and be like, Oh, Vincent Kennedy, the man, we said we could do this, blah, blah, blah. Look at that buy rate. Look at this. That paid our salaries for a year and all this stuff. And look at us and look at this. You guys, you got to cut it out, okay? Because um, you're where you are because you're, you know, you're buddies with, with, with some of the owners and the VPs of, of AEW. And the other thing I can't stand, what really bothers me about AEW is I feel like whenever I watch there's 20 people on the screen at the same time. You know, you've got faction after faction. Um, the other night, you know, I, I flipped it on. I happened to flip it on just in time for where they decided to, uh, you know, kind of beat up on Adam Page. And the elite alone, I think, was was seven or eight people, minus Don Callis, who's another guy I just wish would just stay off television. And then, so they got that. They got Cole. They got, I'm um, sorry, they got Hangman Page in the ring. And then 10 guys from the Dark Order start coming running down. I'm like, that, why? I mean, I mean that, that, that takes away everything. That doesn't, that, that's not fun. I would have rather have seen Kenny Omega beat down Adam Page or, you know, maybe, maybe just, you know, Omega and the Bucks or whatever beat down Adam Page or something like that. But there's, it's just there's too many guys on the screen. And then, and then they bring back, like, I don't know about you. And we talked about the old days and all that stuff is good, but I don't want to see Tully Blanchard on my screen right now. I don't want to see Chavo Guerrero on my screen right now. Um, Chris Jericho looks awful and it's sad to me because he, I think he is one of the best performers of, of, of all time, but I think he looks terrible watching the highlights of that match with him and Juventud Guerrero. Oh, was that awful? Um, and I know I rambled on a little bit, Duke, I'm sorry. But um, the one thing that what really soured me on AEW was when they had that Jericho versus, I think it's Dr. Luther match. That was so bad. I, I I think, I think honestly, I think Vince McMahon would have pulled the plug on that match right in the middle of TV and not cared. 
And I feel like that is what the product is with AEW on TV. When you can see the mistakes with your own eyes as a fan, that's bad. You know, one of the things that I've I've heard from you during this conversation, Danny, and also stuff that you post, you're clearly somebody who has a, a, a an understanding of diversity and inclusion and you know, you make no bones about the fact that you like to see variety in your wrestling products and what have you. What's your take on AEW being so predominantly white male, especially the the, the top of their card? It seems like, it, you know, the only people who have any legitimate shot at being champion, they got to be white guys, right? What's your take on that in 2021 to see something that that is so old school in that in that sense there it's 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 horrible um and look i mean we you know you know as well as i do duke we a lot of this is very very much fan based so you know you're gonna basically base your they like to base the top they'll base the top of the card on crowd reaction i feel a lot of the time okay with that being said if you don't give the opportunity to that person then you don't know how it's gonna go um, it took Bobby Lashley a lot of years, but look at him now. This is the best work of his career. They gave him the opportunity, and he is making the most of it. Um, in AEW, I know they got a guy, was it Will Hobbs? He looks like an absolute beast, and I feel like he at least deserves a shot. He, he should get a shot. I think that's a guy that could sell some tickets, Duke. I really do. I really do. And um, – you're right. I mean, it is it, it is predominantly white. Um, I don't actually. I know of, I only two guys I can think of: Duke or uh, Lee Johnson and um, Will Hobbs. Other than that, um, there's a ton of old white guys on that roster. Um, I mean, Sting Sting was one of my favorites growing up. Easily one of my favorites, probably in my top three. I can't. I, I don't even like watching him now. Um, you know, he's he he's like a novelty. And I mean, even him, he's another one. I didn't like the way WWE booked me. You were at the top of the card every single time you performed. You were gone for like eight months. You came on. You started feuding with Seth Rollins. Now, granted, he hurt you, and it hurt your career, and that stinks. I get it. But, you know, these guys these guys complain about opportunities that they're getting. They've gotten the opportunities. You know, the Revival had the opportunities. Where are they now? You know, Christian Cage, you know, he, he, I, I, I'm sorry, I can't include him. He's been OK. But like Matt Hardy, I didn't like I didn't like what they were doing with me. So what you're doing now is good television. It's horrible. It's horrible. But seeing like these guys get opportunities with their friends and then seeing someone like Will Hobbs not be given an opportunity is wrong. It's completely wrong. And I I, I'm, I just I just I don't know. I, I tried to give him a chance, Duke. I really did. But I just – I don't like what they're doing with that company. Um, I've never been a fan of the Young Bucks. I can tell you that right off the bat. Um, and 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 Eddie Kingston doing that promo after the program or whatever a couple weeks ago. You know what, buddy? All that was was you're bitter because Vinnie Mac never gave you a chance. And that's my opinion. You know, you, you bring up a very good point with Will Hobbs. I mean, I, I look at some of the things that happened in that company um, – the last couple of years, and you, you're telling me that Will Hobbs couldn't fill that Wardlow spot? You know, <laughs> Wardlow is, is always in the mix of some of the biggest segments on the show on, on Dynamite every single week, it, it seems like, right? 
He's mixed yep. in with MJF. He's had matches against Cody in the cage. <clears throat> He's had matches against Jericho. I mean, this guy is like literally being groomed, clearly, to be a champion someday. You couldn't put Will Hobbs in that spot. When, when you look at the Dark Order and you look at some of the things that they've been able to accomplish, oh. Will Hobbs couldn't have been part of that group. I mean, so this is what I mean, right? Even, even like with, 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 even if you don't want to, even if without Warlow, you mean Will Hobbs isn't better than Jake Hager? I mean, come on, who wants to watch Jake Hager every week? You know what I mean? It's, it's what a disappointment I, he is. Jeez, oh, it's, it's so it's, it's, it's just frustrating. I mean, um, that's why it's like, um, I mean, and we, you know, you, you've always talked about diversity and I love that Duke, um, you know, cause I, I was a baseball coach for a lot of years. So, um, you know, I always had diversity on my team and it was great. I always, you know, accompanied inclusion and make sure, you know, we're all, we're all one, we're all the same and we all need to have the same opportunities in life. I truly believe in that. So when I see what I see sometimes on that television, it just, it just makes me, it makes me angry. It's just, it's not right. I mean, I love, like, I feel this kind of started with WWE a couple of years ago when they originally, I think it was Ali who was supposed to get the push with Daniel Bryan, but ended up getting hurt. And then Kofi stepped in. And look at what happened. Look at the following Kofi. Look what that, this is a guy who was in WWE for what, 15 years? And then all of a sudden, Given the opportunity to really be at the top of the card, look what he did. Look, look what they did with him. Look at the crowd reaction he got. Look at that match he had with Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania. That place was 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 hopping, and that's what I like to see. And I like to see guys like Kofi at the top of the card. I love seeing Lashley at the top of the card right now. Um, I really, I really, really, really. I mean, just to show you how the difference between the two companies. Okay, I honestly thought that Drew McIntyre was going to walk out of WrestleMania with the title. I really did. But I thought that they were going to do, I thought they were going to, in a sense, reward Drew for all of his hard work during the pandemic. But what they do, they did the right thing, Duke. And Drew did the right thing too, by tapping out to Lashley cleanly on the greatest stage of them all. So I feel like WWE is doing a much better job in today's environment of engaging people from all aspects of life. Whereas AEW, I feel like they're trying to be old school, but they can't even do that right. You hit the nail right on the head. I mean, can you imagine if their first champion would have been Adam Page instead of Chris Jericho? That was the right thing to do. Right? If they took a young star that that was not on the map yet, and they made this kid, and then they, they built this kid strong going forward, just imagine where that company would be today. Look who their first two champions were, Duke. Okay, WWE guys, <laughs> multiple, multiple, multi, not just WWE guys. Each one multiple time heavyweight champion, top of the card. Did Dean Ambrose not win the WWE twice? Yes, he did. Did he not cash in Money in the Bank? Yes, he did. Has Jericho main evented WrestleManias? Yes, he did. And now <clears throat> that's a good thing, but that's not what they said they were going to do. Their thing was, we're going to build new stars and new people and do this. But what do they do? They sign every single top star they can get. And, I mean, I know it's probably a done deal and it's good, but I would just love to see Brian or Punk just say, you know what, screw you guys. We're going, we're going, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to go where we can make the most money, and that's at WWE. I would love to see them do that. I know 
It's probably a done deal. I know these guys are probably already signed or whatever, but um, I don't think that's good for their careers, um, especially Daniel Bryan. I really don't think he should go to AEW. I really don't. I think he's he was always in a good place. I think I think I think WWE really values him, and I think he could make a, a, a he could be a guy that could help run that company over the course of time. But if he wants to go, go. Um, I'm interested to see what Punk's reaction will be if he comes back. I honestly think at first it's going to be really good, and then people are going to get sick of him real quick. Only because, um, like I think I've said this to you before, you know, he took his ball and he went home seven or eight years ago uh, because he didn't like what it was going to be. And I'm sorry, you were another guy who was constantly at the top of the card. You were constantly at the top. Um, Vince let you go out with an open microphone on live TV and gave you. 12 minutes to say whatever the heck you wanted. That's unheard of. But he just, he doesn't have any respect for you because what he wanted you to maybe lose to the undertaker or he wanted you to, you know, have a feud with triple H. Come on. He took his ball. He went home and he done nothing but bash the industry ever since. And now he wants to come back because you know what? He's, he's, he's still young and he wants to make some money. He wants to come back for a year, 18 months, and then take his ball and go home again. That's all he wants to do. Danny G coming in hot with the with the strong takes there. I love it. Danny, why don't you let everybody know if they want to follow you uh, online and, and keep up with things you have to say, talking about wrestling and everything else under the sun, what's the best way they can they can keep up with you? Let me get you my uh, my you know, I'm online. My Twitter handle is it's you know, you being from Boston, you probably get this. It's at wicked smart W at the at sign, obviously W I C K I D. S M O T. Um, I'm a, I, you know, I'm, I'm a local guy too, Duke. So we, uh, you know, you probably get the whole wicked smart thing. Um, just something I kind of do on, you know, just, just to make fun. But, um, but no, I'm, you know, I'm on Twitter. That's the best way to probably get in touch with me. Um, it's a picture of me and my beautiful wife as my, uh, as my profile. And, uh, you know, I get, I, you know, I love, I love all things wrestling. I'm a big foodie. Um, I'm a big Boston sports guy. So I love to talk about anything and, and have a good time. That's just life. All right. Well, you, you brought it up, Danny. So I got to ask you this before I let you go here. You're a big foodie. You're a Boston guy like me. So you, you, you get it. If I need, and, and you know what, I'm not even going to, I'm not going to hold you just in Boston. Let's say the whole New England area. Okay. If I need a good sub. Okay. Oh, I okay. Need a, I need a sub, and it doesn't matter what kind, whether it's a steak and cheese, whether it's an Italian, whatever. If I need a good sub, that's going to make me like, it's going to feed me well, it's going to make me feel good, and it's going to be the best I've ever had around. Where am I going, and what exactly is on the sub? What kind of sub is it? How All do right. I get it? What's right. the Danny G uh, answer to? <laughs> so I can actually speak to this. Okay, I worked at a deli in Rhode Island for years. It's it's now it's called Jay's Deli. Uh, he's got two of them. A very good friend of mine. Um, he's voted been voted best deli in Rhode Island numerous amount of times. Um, my favorite sandwich that they do. It's actually called it's called the Wild Turkey. Right. It's got. He makes foot-long subs, and he puts half a pound of good quality meat on all of his sandwiches. And this has melted cheddar cheese with turkey, uh, bacon, and then just Thousand Island dressing. And that is, um, to me, that's just like perfection. Um, I love that. Um, you know, but, it all, I mean, if you – if I mean, I love a good Italian sub. I don't know about you. Um, 
Uh, there's a place in there's another place in Rowland called the Sandwich Hot that makes a really nice one. Um, and I know you being from Boston, you've probably been to Sam Lagrasse's, right? Sam Lagrasse's is 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 a, a staple. You cannot uh, eat from here and not get one of those world <clears throat> famous sandwiches from from uh, Lagrasse's. There's no way you can't you can't do it. You and you you know you're you know you're busy when you can be open Monday through Friday from seven to three in the food restaurant in the food business and do well. Yeah, I mean you can't go wrong with anything anything from there. But um, you know, I mean sandwiches are my thing. <laughs> it's just so funny that that's what you asked me about, Duke. Because I mean, I love sandwiches. I make them at home. Uh, that it's just it's just my thing. But yeah, my buddy's deli down in Rhode Island. Um, they they they, they do really well. We used to I used to work there uh, years ago now, and on a Friday we would pump out sometimes sixteen hundred sandwiches. It's crazy. It was crazy. It was nuts. Say the name of the place again. A J apostrophe S. So J's Deli, D-E-L-I. He's got a location in Smithfield and another one in my hometown of Woonsocket, Rhode Island, where I grew up. All right, everybody. If you're, if you're down there in Rhode Island, which is one of my favorite places to, to visit because it's not too far away, you definitely got to check out Jay's Deli. Hey, who knows? Maybe we'll, we'll get uh, Jay down here to, to talk about some of the great things he has on the menu. <laughs> he, he, he's not one for media. I can, I can tell you that. He actually, um, he actually made some news, uh, Rhode Island News, a couple, a couple of uh, years ago where uh, he had three delis. And he's, he's a guy who takes a lot of pride in what he does. He's been open for like 35 years. I mean, he's, he, he's, he's excellent at what he does. And he actually temporarily closed one of his delis because he couldn't find quality help. And he he put up a sign and said, I'm sorry, we are temporarily clo- closed right now um, due to the fact that um, I'm short-staffed. This is before the pandemic. I'm short-staffed. I can't provide the proper service that I like to provide. So until I'm able to train new employees, I'm just going to have to temporarily close this location. He was asked to be on the news. He was asked all this other stuff, and he declined all of it. But, you know, people were like, oh, so everybody, of course, is reaching out to me. And I said, look, he's telling you the truth. He's telling you the truth. He'd rather you not walk into his place and leave angry than 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 walk in, get something, you know, wait, wait 25 minutes for one sandwich. You know, you're rushing back on your lunch hour. He just doesn't want to give you that level of service. And, you know, he's true to his word. He hired some people. He drained them and he reopened. Hell of a story. Hell of a story. Danny G, thank you. Thank you for joining us on Duke Loves Wrestling. My pleasure, Duke. Anytime. This was a blast. This is Tony Schiavone, and we're definitely out of time on Duke Loves Wrestling. You can head over Facebook and Twitter, type in Duke Loves Wrestling. Let me know what you think of the show. 